Welcome to the Wheel Nerds. Hi, and welcome to the Wheel Nerds. This is episode 70. I'm Chuck. And I'm Todd. We're going to be talking about motorcycles. And I've chosen a nice beer for you this evening, Master Charles. Uh, this particular one is a Ba Ba Black Lager. Pairs nicely with fish, tacos, or hot wings. For later, I've prepared a selection of pornographic literature for Sir to enjoy in the upstairs room. Thank you, Todrick. Uh, where are my slippers? Oh, one moment, Sir. Here you are. Thank you. This is nice. Hey, go, go on with the show. Very good, Sir. We're back. <laughs> and Chuck, Chuck bought me as a butler. How did he buy me as a butler? He bought me as a butler by harassing people at the International Motorcycle Show. As agreed. As agreed. I, I get the text and it says, what will you give me? What will you give me? What, what, what did I do? <laughs> well, tell you what, let's make him sit in suspense and talk about it in a little bit. Okay, okay. All right. Where are we going to start? Oh, I think we should start with a couple of the classifieds because we got a few good ones this week. Okay, cool. We got our first one comes from Steve. He writes, uh, the ad says, runs good. Just lost a key, so I'm done with it. 800. It's clean, but no title. Have BOS. <laughs> <laughs> can start for sale, but can't refill the gas when that's out. It's out. Go buy a key on eBay. Crack two turn signals, so no turn signals. I still have it. What is this bike scream? Uh, this has got a not stolen feel about it. Because I'm imagining that he's starting the thing with like a screwdriver. <laughs> well, oh, can you? Can I hear it start? Sure. What are you? What are you? <clears throat> oh my God! Not stolen. Not stolen. Not stolen. <laughs> Here's a hint: if the person doesn't have a key for the bike, don't buy it. Don't a bill a bill of sale. I've got a bill of sale. It's official. Yes, you can print them off from the Utah site anytime. I wrote mine on a piece of notebook paper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of the thing about the bill of sale. The bill of sale is worth exactly as much as you trust that person. My ass. Mm, yeah, thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. And Chuck's ass ain't worth much. So <laughs> Sean sent us a correction. Yes. Believe it or not, it's common for older, more abused Yamaha transmissions to be, air quotes, missing second gear. This problem can actually be found in the FCR 600, FCR 1000, YZFR 600, blah, 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 lots of bikes. This is the primary mode of failure on transmissions with bent and worn shift forks and worn dogs in the gear set itself, which would make sense because then they miss second gear or it pops out of gear under load and at high RPM. Poor shifting technique is usually blamed as the user side cause of these problems. About 1 in 5 YZF600Rs and FZR600s in the mid to late 90s I've seen have this problem to some degree. It's incredibly common on these older Yamahas relative to other manufacturers, it seems. Though I've heard the same thing happening on other sport bike brands. Well, okay, wow. So this is about that ad from last week where we were just, yeah. yeah. Second gear, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, that's, I don't want to buy that bike. Yeah, I'm going to throw this down. <laughs> it's common. I don't care. (laughs) It's common. (laughs) Fuck you. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) It's common that they lose the second gear. Yeah, if you don't know how to shift, you asshat. (laughs) That's like, you know, the cute girl that's like, you know, it's just a cold sore. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Interesting, though. Apparently, apparently Yamaha wasn't uh, building the transmissions to last. (laughs) I I guess. You know, Mm. Japanese manufacturer. Squids don't keep their bikes that long. What, through second gear? <laughs> yeah, no, no I'm done with this thing. <laughs> this bike's lame. Billy, sell your bike now. It's too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, let's see. Our last ad comes from Wyoming. Yes, it's from Zach. He says, it becomes obvious with this ad that we only have straight roads. What we got? Well, the ad says, I am selling a 2007 Gixxer 600. Only had it for a couple months. This is all in caps, by the way. It's a great bike. Only thing that is wrong with it is that the speedometer is off. Easy fix. Also have a dyno jet on it. It has around 4,000 miles. I occasionally still ride it. If you want an update on the mileage, shoot me a call. Never been leaned or dropped. Wait. Never been leaned? Leaned or dropped. Okay, so yeah, there's only straight roads in Wyoming. He says it only has 4,000 miles, and I think most of them are probably on the trailer that's sitting under the picture. <laughs> well, he's got one non-trailer pick of it hey, hey, before it of, went on the trailer. Think of all the life you will have on the sides of those tires. It's never been leaned. <laughs> look at the tires, though. Yeah, the tires look... Uh, there's a noticeable flat spot in the middle <laughs> of the rear tire. Well, it's never been leaned. Well, there you go. I noticed that he's also photoshopped something out of the picture, which amuses me. Up by the windshield. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder what that is. Maybe it's the ghost. <laughs> also, the bike is haunted. <laughs> that only adds value. Mm-hmm. Well, at least it's not stolen. Or leaned. <laughs> so, Chuck, you got to do something fun that I didn't get to do this weekend, didn't you? Oh, did I? Yeah. What I? Oh, that's right. I went to the International Motorcycle Show in Long Beach. Yes, and the rest of us sat at home and looked at Facebook and went... Yeah, I was posting pictures. I had a great, you know, I got to go in. I somehow got a press pass to the show. That was pretty impressive, I have to say. <laughs> they they weren't checking hard. No, no, <laughs> no. They're not. They're not very. What do you have? Oh, I've got a show. Okay, what's it called? Wheelners. Wheelners. Yeah, they, they they there was a typo on the press pass. I saw other press passes though that had left less info than mine. Mm-hmm. Like one was just said Bill. Bill. Bill of Bill. This is Bill from Billco. <laughs> Hi, Bill. Hi. Your press? Yes. I'm from Bill. <laughs> I have my iPhone to take pictures. Clicky, clicky, clicky. Well, I was taking pictures the whole first day with my iPhone because mm-hmm. I was I was having Chuck luck with the uh, <laughs> with the camera. The tiki strikes again. The tiki strikes again. We haven't fed the tiki in a bit. <laughs> it's a problem. Oh man! But yeah, so I was there for two days. Mm-hmm. So much fun. And, you know, a big thanks to uh, Nicole and Paul from Sidecar Safari, mm-hmm. ADV uh, Motorcycle Magazine, because uh, I, I tracked them down mm-hmm. and just wouldn't let go. Just latched onto them? I latched on. Like, a, like tra- a barnacle? <laughs> I trailed after them like a lost Guys, puppy. You guys! <laughs> they tried to ditch me so many times. <laughs> but Chuck is a crafty one. Yes, yes. I was able to follow. You know, she was wearing a, a bright colored jacket oh yeah was that was that was a out. mistake next time camo and paul's kind of tall mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. yeah I was, and they took me around they were introducing me to everyone all these people are now my close personal friends you're an industry insider now i am i know things you're people i've got secrets <laughs> wow impressive well, let's talk about some of the the stuff i saw yeah actually and, and and i give you big credit because you actually remember to bring your recorder with you and not just slather all over the bikes <laughs> your, your first one you sound a little out of sorts though Okay, here I am at um, IMS. I am so lost right now. I'm I'm here for the press opening. And so everyone that's around me right now is involved in the press some way. I see the moppy head guy that writes for Motorcyclist. He's the only one I recognize because he's the moppy head guy. 
uh, everyone else, they all seem to know each other, and I am waiting for someone to come and escort me out of the building. Clearly, the vaguely ethnic person strolling around without a rake should not be in the room. Uh, I'm walking by the BMW booth and just kind of strolling around and getting my bearings. I've already walked past the Euro booth, KTM, TourTech, and they're giving free food to everyone, which is kind of nice. Except I had a banana already, so yeah. Uh, let's see, I want to try end up talking to people we're interested in, like the guys at Ural, guys here at Twisted Throttle. Um, see if maybe there's some magazine folk I can talk to. I'm walking around with a name badge that has the name of the show misspelled. And oh yeah, my SD card is dead. So yeah, everything is going great so far. Yeah, so... Chuck being awkward in a social that was, situation? That was Chuck before he found Paul and Nicole. Uh-huh. So, yeah, I was I was feeling a little lost because all these people obviously knew each other. Yeah, well, there's that community. I mean, how many motorcycle journalists and, you know, yeah. people working booths are there, really? Right, right, right. And, you know, everyone's looking at each other's tags. Mm-hmm. Um, they're all like wheelners. Wheelners, yeah. Who's wheelners? Yeah, yeah. And like I said, the only one I could uh, spot was uh, Airy... From uh, motorcyclist, mm-hmm. but I didn't want to just walk up to him and be like, "Hi, hi, dude! You ride a two fifty? Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm touching your pants." <laughs> so yeah, that was that was a little uncomfortable to begin mm-hmm. with. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I you earned yourself the six pack of beer and the butler delivery in a big way, my friend. Yes, I was there for the BMW unveiling of the twelve hundred GS, the new one, the Water Beamer, and they had all the executives there for it. You know, it, it was under a tarp; it was big deal. All the and mucky then, mucks. Uh, they had some question and answers with the mucky meal mucks. Oh, good, cool. So, what was your name again? My name's Hans. Hans, and you're the vice president of BMW. When I was in Europe, I just came to the U.S., so in Europe, my job was the global vice president of sales and marketing. Okay. And I've been in America for seven months now, and I'm the vice president of the Americas, North and South now. Oh, okay. But this bike was done while I was in Europe. Okay, okay. So I guess, you know, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. You look around, everyone's trying to copy a GS now, it seems, right? Yeah, the good thing about copying is you can only shoot for where we are, not where we're going to be. Right, right. So no one's copied this. Right. So this is such an iconic bike. I mean, it's you look, you see this bike, and you can recognize it anywhere. You know, it's just amazing. And our listeners kind of want to know what's with the beak. Uh, the beak is a design element of the bike. Is, is what Dave tried to do. Dave Rob, when he in the very first generation of this bike, it didn't have a beak. In the second generation, when Dave took over, he was trying to give the bike a really hard core off-road look. Okay. And so off-road bikes typically have their fenders up high, mm-hmm. and that was the intent of the beak. Okay. So, you know, look at a bike like, uh, say, the Yamaha Super Ternary, that looks like it's trying to differentiate itself from the GS, but, you know, like the Triumph Explorer, they're copying the beak, too. You don't see the beak as an epidemic? <laughs> 
Like, the, shouldn't the beak be stopped? No, I don't see the beak as an academic. I think this is the most beautiful GS there's ever been, and the beak is an integral part of that. Ah, uh, okay. Where, where are the newest new things on this uh, 800 GS? This is the. That's the. Yeah, yeah. This is oh, 1200. Sorry. Yeah, the, the, the main features of it are the whole new water cooled boxer engine. Okay. It's at 125 horsepower now, so 15 more than its predecessor. The next big revolution on it, it has a semi-active suspension. So our two motorcycles here, the HP4 and our GS, are the first two motorcycles in the world with full semi-active suspension. Does the water cooling add too much complexity to this bike? It adds two radiators and a fan and a couple of hoses. So oh, that's it. Okay, cool. That's basically it. And a water pump. So it doesn't add a lot of complexity. Cool. So the, the beak's going to stay. The beak, the beak is here to stay on GS. Oh, come on, Hunter. You're killing me. The beak kills me. The uh, beak hurts me deeply. Learn to live with the beak. Enjoy the beak. <laughs> That's good beer. Oh, you earned it. Oh, <laughs> did you earn it. Oh, my God. Oh, so Chuck sends me a text, and he says, what would you give me if I asked these kind of questions of the president of BMW? Now, he didn't get the president, but he got the VP of, like, the world. Of North, of Americas. Yeah. Of the Americas. <laughs> of, like, half of the world. And he was, like, the VP in Europe at yep. one point. So, yeah, yeah, of the world. He's a big dude. Big He's dude. the muckety-muck. Yep. And, uh, yeah, and then he just gave him absolute hell. It was it, great. <laughs> What's funny is he kept trying to pawn me off on one of the designers Uh of the bike. And you're like all over him. You're like, nope, you're not getting away that easily. (laughs) You know, he took it in great humor, great stride. Mm -hmm. He was clearly... He did not see it coming at all. Uh, you completely blindsided hand, him. He handled it well. He was walking merrily down the street. La, 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 all of a sudden, Chuck! <laughs> he did not have me thrown out. That's a plus. Yeah, it was great. Yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. Very nicely done. Thank you. And the new bikes at BMW were pretty cool. That mm-hmm. that new 800 GT mm-hmm. was pretty slick looking. Yeah, it does look... It looks like it maybe has a slightly less extreme bend over than the ST. Yes. Which, was, you know, that was... If I had a complaint about the ST, those felt a little scrunchy. It was pretty comfortable. Mm, cool. It was nice. They let me sit on it. Wow. No one... No one. Well, it's probably because they can't see you because you're in the BMW booth. <laughs> that guy thought he was imagining you. That's what was going on. He thought he was hallucinating. He's like, I'm hearing a voice. I, what's... I don't... He did, he, he, I, I was like that hazy camouflage predator mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. yeah, he says there's like this weird outline kind of moving. He just sees the eyes. <laughs> and here's the question. What the fuck with the beaks? <laughs> Oh, it's beautiful. I uh, that that just made my day. And from there, I went over to the, the Indian. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a They're, now big Indian booth. Indians back now because Polaris is Polaris it, bottom. Is it, it's Polaris, not Bombardier, who owns the other guys, right? The Victory. Yeah. No, Polaris owns them. Oh, yeah, Polaris yeah. owns Victory, right? And, and then it's Bombardier makes the Spider, and now they now Polaris owns Indian. Got yeah, it. Yeah. And uh, they had a big booth. Yeah. With all their new models. Mm-hmm. But the big thing, the big centerpiece of the booth was the Monroe Special, the world's mm-hmm. fastest Indian. Mm-hmm. And uh, they turned it on. Did they? Yeah. They had two guys that would come out with – I should have known. They had big honking earmuffs <laughs> to turn this thing on. So we're going to hear the Indian Monroe Special right now. The guys are coming up on the podium. They're getting ready to crank it up.
This is probably going to hurt my ears. from the Indian Monroe special and I can smell like sulfur in the air. I believe I have suffered, suffered permanent hearing loss for the sake of my art. You unappreciative bastards. Wow, that was that was loud. Yeah, so you that was yeah. Yeah. It was hard. So you spent the rest of the day going, what? <laughs> huh? I had an excuse. I wasn't Man. the only one that was walking around. No, I'm sure. I'm sure everybody standing close to the thing kind of did this collective like, whoa, step back. Yeah, they shot that thing off several times during the weekend. Uh-huh. And every time there was a giant crowd. And at the end of it, there was this dazed <laughs> zombie <laughs> thing walking away from it. This is kind of the thousand yard stare. It was pretty freaking awesome, I gotta tell you. That's cool. It was nice. And it looked like they had a half of it cut off so you could actually see the innards. Uh yeah, if you if you went up in their booth thingy and got behind it, you could look mm-hmm. down into the innards. Mm-hmm. Um I was off to the side, so I've got a video, uh we'll put it up on our YouTube channel cool. of of these guys firing it off and, and wearing giant ear protectors while no one else in the area is. Right, yeah. I, I didn't yet get fitted for the custom fit earplugs. Mm-hmm. I wish I had, had those. Yeah. Um it probably would have saved the people to my left and right from getting splattered with blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> And then you went over to the Ural booth. Ural was there. They weren't there as a company. The San, San Diego dealer was up, and they brought both EBR, Eric Buell Racing, and Ural. And they hmm. basically had like a combined booth. Oh, that's cool. They had the 1190RS there from EBR. Mm-hmm. And a couple of guys representing. Ural didn't have any people there, the, mm-hmm. but the dealers were, were representing for Ural. Sure, so they, yeah. had the, they had a gear up, they had a retro, mm-hmm. and they had the MO. Oh, cool. Okay, I'm here with, uh, what's your name? Daniel. Daniel, and he's representing uh, Ural here at the IMS show, right? Yes, I am. All right, so we've got some very important questions about the Ural for you. Okay. What brand of vodka is best to use for repairing these bikes? Oh, okay. Well, let's see here. Well, you got the, the I would say Kettle One. The Kettle One yeah, bike, yeah, okay. Yeah, you definitely want a Kettle One. All right. And this Yamos, this is this is this year's special edition. Yes, it is. How many of them are coming in the country? Um, not very many. Uh, probably maybe fifteen or twenty. Really, fifteen yes. or twenty. So, are you you're from the San Diego dealership? You guys only got the one. Yeah, we'll, we'll get the one. Is it already if, sold? If we're lucky, no, it's not. Oh, okay, we've got two deposits on it, but we're waiting for people to actually come in. So we do have people interested in it, but. Mm-hmm. 
It also just hit, too. We just got this in about four days ago. Okay. So, other than the ore on this thing, which is pretty fucking cool, what what, what are we looking at with the Yamal? Uh, the Yamal has the... Uh, oh, can't miss the... Uh, the lights? Well, the tiger... Uh, oh, yeah, the yeah. The, teeth. the shark teeth, which yeah. is from the boat. Yes. And you got the lights. The lights. And then uh, it has a uh, windscreen. Okay. Which comes with the Yamal. The uh, handguards. Okay. Which comes with the Yamal. Why the handguards? It's just an aggressive machine. Okay. Because uh, this isn't like a bike that's normally going to tip over. Like, you're not going to drop this well, like you drop a GS. Yeah, but they're, they're brush guards. So oh, okay. Your brush guards. You, okay. Uh-huh. So if you're driving through the wilderness. Where's the bottle holder for the vodka? Oh, we've got to put it on, but it would go right here. Oh, uh, right right yeah. where you can reach for it. Yeah, that's exactly. fucking, That's awesome. Yeah. Have you have you ridden one of these? Yes, I have. Okay, what do you think? Uh, I, they're amazing. They they really are. It's. Uh, have you monkeyed it or were you the rider? No, I rode. Okay. I rode. I, I've yet to sit in this here. <laughs> okay. But um, uh, yeah, they're awesome. It's just uh, the best way to describe it is, it's like if anyone's driven in the old Volkswagen Bug, it's that same type of atmosphere. You just you, it, right. It, yeah. It just brings just a, a sense of childhood back from when you, you know, drove your car. Or, um, it's just fun. How do you see Ural doing as a whole? Uh, very well. Um, they're growing each year, and they're not growing um, at a point where they can't keep up. Uh-huh. Um, they're growing very steadily, and um, it's something that no one else is doing. What do you, what do you think's driving that? Is it because people they're, want they're something different? Okay. People want something different. Um, every single customer who's purchased a Ural is completely different than the other customer. Um, any other motorcycle. It's a kind of a customer type, Harley, BMW. Sure. Uh, or Ural, there, there really isn't. Cool. Um, have you had many sales of the ST? The solo Ural? Uh, no. no. Oh, no. do you guys even have one? We don't have one in stock. We've okay. ordered one for a customer. Um, it's a great machine, um, but most people want the sidecar. Most important question, can I test ride one of these at your dealership? Yes, you can. Really? We will, uh, does does the you. does the school girl come with the, the bike? Uh, no. Are you sure? Yeah, but you can go to the Tilt Kilt on the bike and probably pick up one of them pretty easy. Yeah. So you're saying that the Ural is a, a chick killer? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Every uh, every bike night we've done, yeah. you could have a thirty thousand dollars sport bike, and the girl will walk right past the thirty thousand dollars sport bike up to the Ural. Wow. Uh, you can't put heels in a dress over a seat. Yeah, okay, yeah, you can put it in the tub. Yeah. All right, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. And they had girls. Apparently. <laughs> I have to say, having seen your pictures, the Euro girls were better than the Ducati girls. They were definitely um, friendly. Mm-hmm. Really, fr- I mean, the Ducati girls were friendly, but mm-hmm. the, the Tilted Kilt girls felt... You felt like they were just having a fun. Mm-hmm. And no, they weren't. They weren't actually like Ural employees. They're like they're people from, who work at the pub that the Ural dealer goes to all the time. Presumably, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> they were there handing out cards for their pub, the, the Tilted Kilt. They were saying, "Yo, here after the show, come to the Tilted Kilt." We. Okay. I'm like, okay. <laughs> yeah, there's some awkward pauses as you're talking to the Ural guy there. Uh, I'll confess, uh, we were standing there, and uh, right in front of us, uh, the girls were climbing in and out of the the gear up for pictures. Oh, gotcha. Multiple times. Distracting. A little bit. Mm. Um, Mm. Yeah. 
It mm. was uh, it was. I should have gone to the tilted kilt after the show. Apparently, <laughs> <laughs> what the hell were you doing? They had another girl at the EBR booth. I didn't, uh, but she was done up like a construction worker. Oddly enough, I don't, I don't know what the deal. That's her story. Weird. It was pretty weird. I don't know what her story was. Mm. You sure she wasn't just like there in costume and was seeing how many people would go by before somebody actually asked her, like, "What the fuck are you standing in a booth with a costume like that on?" Uh, I have no idea. I don't know. It was unsettling. It was a little unsettling. Mm. But I did talk to the uh, the guy at the Buell. Mm-hmm. They've got a lot of exciting news coming down the pipe. Mm. We we might get to talk to somebody. Ooh, stay tuned, listeners. Somebody special in the coming mo- year. Extra special. They've agreed as long as we tie check up. There's there are some legalities to work through. Mm-hmm. But stay tuned. Uh, we'll see. Yeah. Mm. Uh, so there are a lot of girls there. <laughs> a lot of booth babes. There were, Ducati had a pack of girls. Yeah. So so I got to ask, did you try to get any of them to get on the back of the Versus? Well, let's 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 listen. Would you guys ride on the back of my Versus? No. So will you guys ride on the back of a Versus with me? No. No. So would you ride on the back of my Versus? Oh, no. No. Um, no. <gasps> Absolutely not. So we ride on the back of my Versus with me? Yeah, right. So that went well. Yeah, that went really well. Mm. Mm. That was, um, thanks for that. Thanks for asking me to do that. Well, I, you know, I figured maybe you could figure out what girls would get on the back of the Versus. None of them. Mm. Mm. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. it was a pretty sad, pretty sad story. Yeah. You'll, you'll, it'll be okay, Chuck. You'll ride by yourself and maybe you'll go somewhere and you'll find some women who will take their clothes off. Shut up. Speaking of uh, Dorky very, bikes. very sad stories, I, I uh, found a guy. I was walking by um, Suzuki. Mm-hmm. They had two 650 there, the V-Stroms. Mm-hmm. Yep. They didn't have the prototype, I'm sorry to say. Oh, with the beak. With the beak. <laughs> uh, but beak. there was a guy there who was paying a lot of attention to him and mm-hmm. was asking a lot of questions. So I talked to him. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, what's your name? Alex. Alex, and you? what year V-Strom do you have? Uh, 06. An 06? Uh, 650? No, it's a DL1000. Okay, so you got the leader bike. How do you feel about owning one of the ugliest bikes in the world? Awesome. I feel good. Where have you been on it? Um, it's a commuter bike. Oh, okay. You've been using it a commuter yeah. bike. So I saw you, you were checking out bags and stuff for the bike. Yeah. Are you thinking of doing touring? or? Uh... Yeah, we're thinking about doing that. Cool, man. How many miles have you put on it so far? Uh, right now it has uh, 95. Okay. Do do women run away in fear when they see you coming up on this bike? Pretty much. Is it has it ruined your social life? Uh, a lot. Are you an outcast with your friends? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So why'd you pick a strom? Because it just it actually fits my personality. <laughs> yeah. Ugly on the outside, ugly on the inside. Correct. That's a really sad story. <laughs> World stromination. <laughs> World Strongman Nation girls run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think any of them were climbing on the back. Of Just Strom. as long as it's clear that Stroms are the second dorkiest bike in the world, we're good. The thing that was cool at the Suzuki booth mm-hmm. was the new GW250. I had oh, no yeah. idea they had that coming. I saw that. No, I, I hadn't heard a word about it. I saw it. Actually, my, my boss got on our Facebook page and saw it. Dale, who we interviewed ages ago, yeah. and saw it. And he's like, oh, my God, I must get a few of those for trainers. It was the coolest bike. It had a lot of attention there, too. Mm-hmm. Well, there it looks was, badass, man. It looked cool. It didn't look as cool as the new Ninja 300. The new Ninja mm-hmm. 300 looks Well, the really new Ninja good. 300 looks like a full-on sport bike. Yes. I and mean, they just basically took all their styling cues from a modern sport bike and said, now it's little. Yep. But um 
The GW250, it kind of has got this B-King vibe. It does have a little bit of that vibe. But it's weird, really like, reduced. It's not, it's not as radical as the B-King itself mm-hmm. was. Yeah. It, it was cool. It was, it was a neat bike. Uh, it's heavy, 400 mm-hmm. pounds. Yeah, it is a little porky, isn't it? It's a little it? porky, but it look. I mean, you're not going to race it. No. So no, that one's that one's going to have the uh, have a milk crate on the back of it and be running around the city all the time. Yeah, it's it was a cool bike. I liked it. No, I, I'm very excited. It's great to see this 250 segment exploding. It really is. Everyone's jumping into it. Well, I mean, up until recently, I mean, the reality of the situation is like the economy and 250 cc bikes in Salt Lake City was basically dirt bikes and my boss Dale. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Dale. It's still about 30% Dale, but mm-hmm. <laughs> even so. No, yeah. I mean, there's, they must be selling because everyone's jumping into this pool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's kind of a weird outside manufacturer, but I think Royal Enfield is is aiming at this market. Really? Their bikes are 500cc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, they had their classic Royal Enfields there. Sure. And then they were showing off their new Cafe Racer mm-hmm. model, which is clearly aimed at a hipster. <laughs> You think, and it's five. It's a five hundred cc bike. Mm. You know, um, I don't. I don't know if their price tags are going to be attractive. I'm guessing their some of their stuff, their their lower end stuff is priced okay. Not as not as cheap as you know, like a two fifty right. You know, but Japanese bike. I could see people getting into the into bikes mm-hmm. on a Royal Enfield just because of the you know because it's, it's Royal, Royal Enfield. Yeah. You know, you know. Honestly, I could see my father buying one. Is one of the people who would buy one. Yeah, it's He'd cool. Be, oh my god, it's Royal Enfield. I always dreamed of one of these when I had all my shit can dirt bikes. Yeah, now I can finally get one of these and it's cheap. And it's a it's a beginner friendly bike. Mm-hmm. I yeah. think I haven't ridden one, but I mean at 500 cc. Yeah, I mean I'm sure it's not super weight efficient because it is an old style bike, which means mm-hmm. it's got the full steel frames. So it's going to be a little porky. Yeah, but you know, I guess the big thing I can think of with a Royal Enfield though is like, you knock that thing over and rash it up, and you're really sad. Yeah, you're a sad puppy. It'd be really sad. As opposed to, you know, you could buy a KLR250 and knock it over and you're like, eh. Yeah, but I mean, if you buy a new Ninja 300 and knock that over? That's true, actually. Oh, the that nice thing about the Ninja 300? What's that? They fix the turn signals. They're flush. Oh, nice. <laughs> they're ready thinking. for that to be knocked Go over. Go team. Good thinking, guys. Yeah, here's a note. If you're selling 250 bikes in the States, make sure that it's okay to tip them over once in a while. They go and fall over. It's going to happen. Yep, yep. But it was, it was pretty cool. A lot of small bikes there. Yeah. Hillsung was there. Cool. Showing their bikes. Do they have anything new or is it the same kind of old stuff? Uh, I honestly didn't spend a whole lot of time at Hillsong. Yeah. I just walked by a few times, mm-hmm. but it looked the, – the dealer who was representing for Royal Enfield was also representing Hillsung. Mm-hmm. And the cute girl at the Royal Enfield booth was a Hillsung representative, so mm-hmm. I talked to her a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was made the Hillsung. Why are you looking at me like that? Nothing. <laughs> was she one of the ones who wouldn't get on your verses? She was, yeah, she was, she wouldn't, she wouldn't get on the verses. Even with tour tech parts? You know, on a scale of one to 10, I hate you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there was the other, Honda has all those new small bikes too, right? Yeah, they were there in force and uh, they were showing uh, the CB500X and there yeah. was a, a crowd around it when mm-hmm. I came up to it. Yeah. And uh, I, I got one of those guys pulled aside. What are you thinking of this bike? I, I, I was interested in it because it's so small and it gives gas range, but if you do long-distance rides, the, 
the fuel on under the seat, yeah, it's it's uh, not that convenient. Even if you're t- doing what the salesman's talking about, doing the top bag, you're still putting no, stuff no, on we, the seat, right? All of us are part of the Iron Butt Rally, so we we oh, okay. go road a thousand to twelve hundred miles a day, and you know that unpack every time you want gas is not that convenient. I, I like everything else, uh-huh. uh, and everybody's looking at the new fuel ranges these bikes have. That's that's why I came over here. I wanted to see these bikes with the sixty miles gas ranges. What do you think of the new clutch deal? You know that's that's that I think is is Yamaha had one on the FJR for a while, and it did not was not that popular for. Uh, gas mileage is going. I think this, this is kind of the future. But the gas cap being yeah. in a, under the seat, that's yeah. sort of a that's that's a, that's kind of a bonehead yeah. move, right? I, w- I would have I would have lost this for gas here. The trunk, yeah. Yeah. There's a, there's a red in. I, w- I would have gone to. I'd love to see this in a six-gallon tank. Oh yeah, with the 75 miles a gallon. Yeah, oh, man, that would be phenomenal. Gas tank under the seat. Bad idea, apparently. Iron butt riders will hit you. Yeah, they were... I I just don't see the sense in that idea. No. Now, I'm not really sure what ga- gave them that as a good... Because, I mean, like, does the seat just come off and the gas tank's under it? It looks like it. He never well, took that's it idiotic. off. Then you it, have to put it on the ground. It looks like you have to take... It looks like a two-piece seat, mm-hmm. and you got to take the pillion off oh. to get that's, to it. It's still stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, BMW got, had it figured out because they got the cap they coming out the put side. It on the side, yeah, yeah, no problem. I don't know why Honda decided to go under. <laughs> other, other than that, it, it sounds like an awesome bike. Yeah, it's got everything going for it. The gas thing is super, a little strange. Super practical. The helmet holder thing in the fake tank is bloody brilliant. Yes, and uh, you know, I, I got a picture of that, and it, it looks like usable space. It's, mm-hmm. it's you know, practical. Well, and it's got all the things that the things that are really cool about some of the unique Honda bikes: the Goldwing, the ST1100, where the tank and all of the weight is down low. I mean, keep in mind the thing that made the Goldwing completely unique when it came out is that that a gas tank on the Goldwing has never been a gas tank. All that weight has always been down low and centered mm-hmm. on the Goldwing. You know, the things they talk about with Buell? Yep. Honda was there with the Goldwing. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, you know, mm-hmm. a slushy frame when it was new, but whatever. Yeah. The point is, those things are great. Those mm-hmm. things keep the weight low, they keep it manageable, and they just make the bike ride great. Yeah, the, the gas tank thing seemed like it was a, a derp idea that just kind of slid by. And they were mm-hmm. like, yeah, they'll... Ah, whatever. whatever. <laughs> Put buckhorns on it. <laughs> but, yeah. Round dial by anything with buckhorns. Fix that, Honda. Yeah. Because otherwise, that. That, that's a pretty, pretty that's spiffy a, bike. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. And may, maybe it's not as big a deal to take the back seat off. I don't know. I it, mean, you know, it was... It seems like a pain in the butt to me. But. It seems like a pain in the butt, and the iron butt guys were really down Okay, on but it. the iron butt guys are a special breed of... Wacko. They are a special Let's breed. Be honest. They are a special. They are the extreme of our breed. Yeah. Well, I mean, they're they're like they're like I don't want to spend two extra minutes in a gas station. Right. I'm like I I spend five minutes just talking to people in gas stations. I've been known to pee for three minutes, especially if I've had a lot to drink. You know, like a Camelback. And you gotta go really bad. When I'm looking at you like this, mm-hmm. it means stop talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, it's, yeah. CB CB five hundred X not iron, but approved. It seems it's and to me it just seems like it'd be a pain in the ass to always have to do that. It just seems dumb. If it's on a hinge, maybe, maybe, maybe. I don't know. I didn't I, think to ask that at the time. If yeah. it just hinged up, even then, <sighs> it makes a good point. Is you know, like that back seat is your basic generic place to throw some crap. Exactly. 
Even if you're not an iron butt guy, if you're mm-hmm. just on any kind of trip. Well, even if you're not on a trip, if you're running a CB500 around the city, what are the chances you got like a milk crate or something on the back? Exactly, yeah. The, the sales guy was funny because he was just totally trying to blow it off. He's like, oh, it's no big deal. No, he was just like, that. what do you mean you pack stuff on the back? And everyone just like turned and looked at him. Slow. It, it, <laughs> like the record was there, the record screen. <laughs> Slowly we turned. <laughs> Step. By step. Uh, yeah. And, you know, finally he was just like, well, you know, if that's a big deal to you, this isn't a bike for you. And the Iron Butt riders were like, yep. <laughs> you know what? You suck at your job. Oh, zing. Uh, let's see. Some cool things I saw there. You saw the you saw the electric bikes and the guys from the Pace who were following our Facebook. Um, Zero, yeah. They were They were – Having new pants problems. <laughs> yeah, and a close friend of mine is real interested in the electric mm-hmm. bikes, but they sound I, so nice. I was not of. impressed with the, the numbers. Really? I mean, you know, you're looking at a fourteen, fifteen thousand dollar bike that <gasps> goes a hundred miles. Ugh, and that has to sit for a long time. Yeah, uh, that's kind of that's not really that no, great. It's not what I'm. Yeah, it's not moving, doing it for me. No, no. I mean, I, hopefully things will get there with better batteries. I mean, that, that remains the problem is our battery technology sucks. Oh, here's a question that I thought to ask you. Mm. What's the top speed of the Ural? I have seen 73 miles an hour when we were going down that big hill on I-70. It was terrifying. The Zero says its top speed is 90. Mm-hmm. But then there's another line mm-hmm. that says sustained top speed. Ah, so it's 90 if it falls out of a plane. <laughs> And that was seventy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm I'm thinking, but usually, usually that that sustained speed typically means like, I don't know, the Urals sustained top speed fifty five sixty. You know, and and they, and it, they were saying the range, and I was just looking at the dual sport. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be upfront about that. Mm-hmm. That's the only one that really interested me. Range was anywhere from sixty miles to one hundred and twelve. So if you're going ninety, it's sixty, <laughs> and then you load it down with your stuff. You know, this is a bike you're going to trailer somewhere uh-huh. and then ride it off road. Yeah, and it might be okay for that. Is it light uh, or is it heavy from all the batteries? I forgot the numbers. It, it looked pretty light. Okay. I, I I got the brochure. I okay, could, I could look. I don't know. Like I said, the zero didn't really do it for me. I hmm. didn't call I, out to you. It's not there yet. Yeah, it's not there yet. You still know, still a curiosity. In fact, the only reason I even looked at it was because I knew it would drive our listener Roland batshit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. He's there eating his gums. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Excellent. There was a couple helmet manufacturers there with rear view stuff. Rear view. You know, they those, those do come on the bike. Uh, yeah. One was uh, mechanical and one was electronic. The mechanical one literally had what looked like a rear view, center rear view mirror from the car uh-huh. at the top of your, of your, your eye space. Yeah. And it uses like a parabolic mirror to... Sh- funnel it from the back of your helmet to that space. That's bizarre. I Do you need a special helmet or just a visor? Or? It's a special helmet. Review oh. is the name of the manufacturer. Huh. They sell a line of helmets. I didn't try it on, but I was listening to people. And yeah. essentially, you pick movement and can see stuff, uh-huh. but it's not like you're going to be reading signs, I guess. Well, who reads signs in their rearview mirror right, anyway? Exactly. I mean, all you're looking for is big moving shit that's going to run your ass but over. But people seem pretty impressed by the idea. I, I, I certainly like it on a lot of levels. I mean, the Ural mirrors are useless. I'm like, oh, that's what my elbows look like. Yeah, yeah. 
And there was an electronic version where it was literally the, you know, backup camera thing yeah. with the eyepiece kind of mounting to the, the front of your helmet and hanging down. I can see that being a problem. Being more of a problem, yeah. Because, A, it's battery-based. Yeah. And anything battery-based is always – the battery will always die at the worst possible time. Claire had his battery for his Mormon safe controller die on the top of Wolf Creek while he was on his ER. <laughs> the wind protection on the ER consists of the speedometer. <laughs> So, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it it seemed like a lot more complexity. The review thing seemed kind of interesting. It's it's a nice idea. I mean, certainly certainly taking some extra crap off the bars frees you up for other gigaws. So we can have more electronic bars. Can you take the mirrors off the bars? Yeah. Would that still pass inspection? Tell them it's in your helmet? Jeez, I don't know. Huh. I don't know. I know turn signals are optional in Utah. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know about mirrors. Yeah, I don't know. Nice idea though. Yeah. And and I got to ask, there was probably some really crazy shit there. The weirdest thing I saw and, you know, I I don't want to, I'm not picking on, I'm going to say up front, I am not picking on Harley Davidson. Mm -hmm. But, but they had a thing there called the jumpstart program. Was it like a sign up for a learning thing? Was it a? No. It was essentially a grown-up version of the motorcycle ride outside the Kmart. Oh, my God. Those are awesome. <laughs> so you get on and somebody puts the cord in and it goes... Essentially, they had a motorcycle on rollers. On rollers. On rollers, mounted to rollers, you know, uh-huh. locked in place yep. with fans pointed at the motor. Sure, yeah. And you would get on it uh-huh. and a guy would stand next to you and talk you through Starting riding it. the bike. So they they like started it up and rev it and they started up and rev it and put it in gear and and it'd go. Uh-huh. On the rollers. That's intensely weird. It was <laughs> I just What who what I I I, I what? don't I don't I don't know. I can you imagine the marketing meeting behind this? <laughs> Can you just imagine? So here's here's the plan, guys. Here's what we're going to do with the show. And this is going to get people totally excited about our bikes again. Okay? Those, those spider guys, screw them. So we're going to get a bike, and we're going to put it on a stand, and people are going to be able to sit on it and rev the engine. That's brilliant. Yes. Adjourn for Coke and Whores. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, that was the oddest. I, I don't. I, I, you know, on the other side of the coin, there was always somebody riding it. So there was always somebody on it. I guess maybe that means it's working, kind of. I I have a I have a really hard time seeing it actually. Come. I'm not. I'm, I'm trying I, to see. I'm trying to see that translate to motorcycle sales, and it's just not. I'm not. I think the little balance bike course set up for the kids mm-hmm. was probably a lot more effective at recruiting riders than this thing was. Mm. I don't. I, mm. I mean, I I'll give them credit that they were trying to make an interactive. Thing. Sure, yeah. Do something that people can touch and Right. Play with. I mean, Victory had a booth with Playboy bunnies. Mm-hmm. Harley had a motorcycle you could get on and start. Okay. So, yeah, but, I mean, coming as a rider looking at this. So, I got to ask, the, the kings of weird shit at motorcycle shows are friends at Ducati. They had the Ducati girls, they, mentioned, they, of course. They had the Ducati. They had, like, a pack of Ducati girls. Mm-hmm. and uh, No bounce house. No bounce house. They had two booths. Two booths. Yeah. At one booth, they had the bikes and the uh, Adventure Coffee, the coffee house, uh-huh. and the cupcakes. Yeah. And the other booth, they had clothes. Like like gear? No. Well, maybe. There might have been a helmet. 
So like like this is like Harley Davidson dealership type of thing where buy our t-shirts, pants, yeah. Okay. And to go along with that, they had a fashion show. Yeah, I saw the pictures. Yeah, of that. that was really weird. It was it was a full blown fashion show. Yeah, and uh, and I'll say that the African American dude, super cut, mm. could dance. Mm-hmm. But I don't see how just wearing a back protector with no shirt or jacket was going to help them. That's because you have never had abs like that. Those abs, <laughs> those abs can stop fucking bullets, man. <laughs> that dude's abs are like that. That dude's abs cause marriages to fall. <laughs> that dude owned a show. He worked that show. Yeah, he well, had them eating out of the pond. And apparently did a backflip and shit. He was breakdancing. He was backflipping. He was talking to people in the crowd. Women were throwing things at him. Jesus. Yeah. I felt very, very insecure about myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're like looking down at your own flabby gut and you're like, oh, man. This sucks. Oh, man. Yeah. I'm um, never going to – this isn't going to keep me safe in a crash. <laughs> <laughs> this isn't going to help at all. No, this is just going to scrape right off. <laughs> I like those things. Like butter, which is mostly what it's made of. <laughs> Yeah, he made me feel real bad about myself. I'm like, I just can never go try on any Ducati clothes whatsoever. I just can't figure out the Ducati clothes thing. I mean, like, like they're like, and we're Ducati, so clothes. Huh? Seriously, they were showing, I mean, you saw the picture. The girls were wearing tights yeah. and, and short shorts. And they were, like, pushing it. They're like, Ducati clothes. What? Yep. What? Yep. What? It's almost as bizarre as the uh, Harley Davidson Barbie and Ken doll. Now available for Christmas. <laughs> but so you're an industry insider now. You saw some crazy shit. Uh, oh, did I mention I went to the the uh, Long Beach International Motorcycle Show this yeah, past I weekend? We, I think we covered that. Did you meet any fancy people? I I I have many 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 close personal friends in the industry now. Oh, really? Very close. Very personal. In fact, I let me let's call one up right now. I, Just I've out of the blue on my speed dial. Okay, so we're on with uh, my close personal friend, one of my bestest friends. We get it, Chuck. You know, we go back, Chuck, go back together Chuck, we get it, so yeah. long. You're an industry I insider, mean... I get it. <laughs> we're on with Paul uh, from Tour Tech. How's Paul, it going, Paul? Gullian. Hey, guys. Gullian? Gillian. I... Gillian. Silent, silent you. This is so, only the second Gillian. time he's been on the show, dude. You know, when you're when you're as good as friends as we are, you know, that time in Nambia when he stopped the bleeding from my femoral artery. Thank you. Thank you for humoring him, by the way. <laughs> Any, anything you can do to take Chuff off our hands for a little bit, we really appreciate here at Wheel Nerds. <laughs> so we got Paul on to talk about the, the new backcountry discovery route stuff. Yeah, I guess it's backcountry discovery route Colorado. Now, right? We have three, so it's officially a movement now. Yeah, we just finished up Colorado. That's the latest in the Backcountry Discovery Route series. And as you can imagine, it is quite a beauty. It starts down in the southwest corner of the state at Four Corners, and it just sort of does uh, almost a straight-ish line through the mountains, kind of almost like a backward sea, I guess, uh, but flattened out a little bit, and we end up at the Wyoming border, you know, six or seven days later, 650 miles later, and have ridden over numerous peaks, 
over 11,000 feet, even a handful over 12,000 feet, and saw some pretty mind-blowing vistas along the way. So the Utah Discovery Route went over some kind of high passes, but I'm guessing with the Colorado one, you've got about four months out of the year you could conceivably do the whole thing. Surprisingly, the snow melts there much sooner than you would imagine. Hmm. When you're up, up at 11,000, 12,000 feet, where I live, the snow never goes away on the coastal mountains. But in uh, the Rockies, the snow actually goes away earlier than you would expect. From what I heard, I wasn't there until the middle of the summer, but the snow was gone in June. And so <laughs> that route actually opens up about the same time, sometimes even earlier than the Washington route, even though the Washington route, very, very highest part is under 7,000 feet. That was the first wow. one, right? Yeah, it was the first one. Ah, okay. uh, we did we did Utah last year, and as right. you indicated, there are several peaks you know, in the nine or 10,000 foot mm-hmm. range. But Colorado, we never got below 10,000 feet for several days. Mm-hmm. It really keeps you high, keeps you really up there. So did any of the guys get high? from being too high? Yeah, unfortunately we did. One of our guys, Bryce Stevens, who's who's a Seattle native like myself, so mm-hmm. we were the guys that you would expect to have the problem, but, but not this guy. He's a mountain climber. He's climbed numerous peaks over 10,000 feet. He's one of those guys that... Uh, summited like six peaks in 24 hours type of thing. He's a real hardcore mountain climber, co-founder of trails.com. The guy spent a lot of time up mm. high, but uh, it caught him off guard and he was feeling like he had the flu for a couple of days. We had to do a rapid descent to get him down to the town of uh, Telluride. It took him a few days to fully recover from it, but oh, wow. it can be pretty scary. The old swollen ankle syndrome, huh? Yeah, it, it, I, from what I understand, it just feels like you have the flu. It's just he had a headache that wouldn't go away, had a hard time breathing. Those are the early symptoms, and then you start getting fumble-fingered and dizzy, and next thing you know, you can't get yourself dressed, and uh, it goes down from there. That's not a great thing to have on a motorcycle. Mm, no. No. Actually, last time I was out in Colorado, I rescued somebody in my sidecar who was having that. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember. Fortunately, I had a monkey in my sidecar, so I just swapped my monkey for her, and he rode her bike back, and I just kind of carted her back in the sidecar. So it worked out well. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's no laughing matter, that altitude sickness. Yeah. No, it's not. So uh, the the thing that we were advised before the trip is, uh, number one, is stay hydrated, but... Mm -hmm. uh, um, to drink electrolytes or take electrolyte supplements. Which yeah, Cheetos work pretty well too. Cheetos. <laughs> yeah. Um, and to and to not have any alcohol. So several of us took that very seriously and did not drink any alcohol. <laughs> a few of us had a couple of beers a couple of times in the early couple of days of it. And one of those beer drinking guys is the guy that got the altitude sickness. So uh, very important lesson there. Huh. That'll learn him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So was it basically the same crew that did the Utah trip? Yeah, it really was. We had a different film crew, but uh, and we had a different journalist. We had uh, Tony Hugel, who was a, a Idaho native who wrote a piece for Roadrunner magazine. He was kind of our we we called him Target Market Tony. He was on. He's just an average guy on an average motorcycle that's only been riding a few years. He he was up there in years. He, I think he was probably around in the 60s. I have to say, we, we were happy. He, he made it through the trip, but he definitely, when the things got a little more rugged, a little more demanding, it was it was tough for him. We sent him on a few workarounds at times, but the good news is he made it through you know the whole trip, and so that's what we try and do is design the trip where the average guy can do it. They're, these are definitely not for beginners. These are not, hey, I just got an adventure motorcycle. I'm going to go ride off road for the first time. It's uh, for someone who's been off-road, done some overnighters, fairly confident. It's not expert-only stuff, but it's it's definitely 
something where it's like a mid-range skill set or higher on an adventure bike. So we got we got Tony through that one. The rest of us didn't have any trouble. But I have to say, on those very high passes, some of them have very steep switchbacks, and they the the rocks are are big and they are loose, and it's it's a it's a handful on a full figured GS, you know, twelve hundred mm. cc, yeah, six hundred pounds. Yeah. Okay, so I've, I've watched, we've watched the Utah one. How would you compare the Colorado trip to the Utah trip as far as skill, expectation, difficulty? It's definitely not as hard as the Utah trip. We found that the Utah trip is is very fairly tough. We've had a few customers that rode it on you know big GSs and said, "Hey, you know what, guys? That was way harder than you said it was going to be." Jokes. <laughs> uh, part of part of the reason is is because of the sand. Utah has a lot of sand, as you guys well know, mm. and we happened to, to ride the route when we got rained on a lot, and so the sand was fairly compact and it wasn't mm. so tough. But some of the other guys that rode it. And when it hadn't rained in a long time and the sand just gets looser and deeper and they were on, you know, big bikes and uh, they weren't highly skilled. They were more in the low intermediate range and they, they had some trouble. So we, we kind of learned that maybe was a little harder than it should be. So the U, so the Colorado trip, we specifically made that route easier than Utah. We provided some workarounds and things. Mm-hmm. In Colorado, the roads are not as technically hard. However, there are a lot of rocks. Where, mm. where Utah has a lot of sand, that was kind of the main theme for several days. In Colorado, it's just rocks. The first four days, it is just rock, rock, rock. And as long as you run good air pressure and you're not afraid to bounce over them, it's really not too bad. A few of the steep high passes, it's a little loose, but you just have to make sure your traction control is turned off if your bike has it and that you just kind of carry some momentum. Nice. So how do, when, do, when do we get to see the Colorado BDR? Well, we are rolling out a nationwide dealer premiere program. So for the month of January, the only way to see the Colorado Backcountry Discovery Route movie is to go see it in a dealer. And we've got a bunch of dealers that are signing up pretty quick. We're at about 10 right now. Our hope is that we'll have 25 dealers across the U.S. that will be inviting their their community, their customers in to their shop to the dealership to watch the premiere and they'll put it up on their projector screen and everybody can kind of see it for the first time you'll also be able to buy copies of the dvd or the butler map there at the event for january and then once february kicks in then you can buy it on you know turretex website or butler maps website or at any dealers that are carrying it anybody that's out there listening if you want to see it soon in the month of january call your local dealership and tell them hey guys you've got an opportunity here to premiere this in the theater give the guys at backcountry discovery routes a call and uh try and book it for a fun evening yeah, we had it at our uh, local Beamer shop last year. Mm-hmm. We the saw Utah the Utah one, one here. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How'd that go? That was fantastic. It was like standing room only for there. Madness. Uh, That's cool. I forgot who came. You know, Rob, I think it was Rob Watt that was there, and uh, maybe one other guy from the expedition. I didn't get to personally attend that one. Yeah, but they yeah. Took I, some photos, and and I saw it. Looked like it was a successful event. Yeah, it was pretty fantastic, and everyone was super enthusiastic, very supportive, mm-hmm. really appreciative of, of the quality in, the, in the, both the DVD and the maps. Mm. You know, it was just a fantastic idea all around. So now the the, uh, the backcountry discovery route actually benefits a charity, right? Yeah, it's a nonprofit. We're, we we've created a five hundred one 
501c4 nonprofit organization. Um, it has some board members, and its charter is to create and preserve off-road riding opportunities for adventure touring and dual-sport motorcycles. It's as simple as that. And so what we're doing, the primary project is creating these backcountry discovery route routes, rides, whatever you want to call them, that go across the state, like across Washington, Utah, Colorado. In addition to that, we're working with other organizations like the Trail Preservation Alliance. We're working directly with the Forest Service to try and protect and keep these areas open for, for years and years down the road. And so far, the response from the Forest Service has been really good. We were kind of worried about that, that there might be some animosity or they might really want to just shut this whole thing down. And what they told us is that part of their charter is, number one, to sell timber and make revenue but two, to provide recreational opportunities. And so if we can funnel adventure riders down this route that is, you know, set by us because it's fun, remote, high elevation, all the things we like, they're going to protect and keep those roads open because it's easier for them to manage one route rather than trying to manage the 10,000 roads everywhere. Right now we're losing roads in the forest at a fairly fast rate, but if we can identify the ones that the adventure community wants to use, the Forest Service will work with us to keep those routes open and to keep them on the maps. And it's a tricky balance managing those kind of roads for the Forest Service because mm-hmm. you get too many people using them and you start getting Walmart bags and you know beer cans everywhere, but you get nobody using them and they don't want to spend any money maintaining them and they go away. It's a yeah, tricky, they're basically, their, their funds are cut back so much now that they are just closing roads because they can't fund the management and and keeping them open and so they're trying to funnel everything down into only a few roads and we're trying to do the opposite we're trying to find some remote fun interesting smaller roads but working with the forest service to keep them open so that we don't in the future only have you know 80 foot wide straight gravel roads through the forest that we're forced (laughs) to ride we're trying to keep the fun remote jeep trail stuff that has character and is a hell of a lot of fun to ride we're trying to keep that stuff open and so far we've been successful with the forest service now, do you guys stress the stewardship aspect of it a lot? I mean, because like I said, the, the, certainly here in Utah, one of the problems we have is if a trail gets really popular, Nine Mile Canyon springs to mind, the Walmart bags and beer cans start showing up. Yeah, no, absolutely. That's part of, part of the mission is to educate our motorcycle community on how we need to behave in the forest, so not roosting through prairies and marshes, leaving campsites clean when we leave, uh, not chasing the wildlife. It's not a real long list, but it's mm-hmm. it's pretty important. And so that's one of the reasons the Forest Service has embraced us because we have shown them that we have a voice to our community and, and whatever they would like our followers to do in the forest, we're happy to help get that message out. And so they, mm-hmm. they really appreciate that. So that's a big part of, of what we do. Yeah, bottom line, don't be a jerk. That's kind of where yeah. it comes down to. <laughs> it's almost as simple as that. It really is. You know, when I, I was uh, saw Paul at the, uh, the IMS show, mm-hmm. did I tell you I went to the International we Motorcycle gotta Show in Long Beach yeah. this, this past weekend? Did, we I, did I mention I that? I held brush. And uh, I, was, I was seeing Paul there. You know, we hung out a mm-hmm. lot. We were, you know, buddy, you know, we were inseparable, mm-hmm. right? That's right, great. Paul, right? He, he almost bought me a beer. Yeah, almost. That's pretty impressive. Well, yeah, cheap bastard. I in, indubitably. So, anyways, I was kind of making fun of Paul that you know they Turtech doesn't have any parts for the the versus, mm-hmm. and I was like, ha ha, you'll never get me. And Paul was like, ha ha, look at our latest magazine catalog thingy. <laughs> yep. And then I told him that there we have distributors around the world, and and several of the newer ones are in Southeast Asia, where. The Versus is the bike. It's the adventure bike to have. It is 
the one that sold in mass. It's 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 like the KLR 650 is here, only in in different countries in Southeast Asia. So they compelled our good friends in Germany, Tertech Germany, where all the parts are made. They convinced them to make a product range. So yeah, we've got pannier system, crash bars, skid plate, the whole. He showed me Zegas the whole for the product Versus. line for mm. Kawasaki Versus. It's like the Chuck "Give Me Your Money" catalog. So I got to ask about the Versus. So if the Versus is that big, it's like the KLR in Southeast Asia. Are the Versus riders in Southeast Asia as kind of dirty and scummy as the KLR six fifty riders are here? You know, I have not had the pleasure of meeting them yet, but very diplomatic of you, Paul. It's it's a different. <laughs> you know, it's 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 fun to, you know, make fun of those KLR riders and the guys that are on the entry-level bikes or the bikes that many of us started on. Believe me, we get, a, we get a, a kick out of doing that. But in other parts of the world, this is the primary form of transportation. I mean, in several countries, when you go to China and you look out the cab next to you, there's a family of four on a scooter. It's like their, their life, our, our motorcycles. And here, some of us are fortunate enough, enough to ha- have the car we drive to work in and then have a couple of motorcycles in the garage. But over there, it's different. So, I'm not sure if those are really just, you know, adventure riders using them for adventure or if it's, you know, the the family car sort of thing that that just happens to be the model that meets their needs and is reliable. I'm not really sure. I guess there must be. If they're staking uh, Zegas on on the bike, I I can't see them exactly being just the the family commuter. Station wagon if they're putting Zega Pros on it, huh? I just in my head equated like I'm like versus equals wood-sided station wagon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you can go to you can do the grocery shopping if you have the Zega Pro Panniers on there. Yeah, yeah. Makes it a, a makes it a, a utility vehicle. Paul, Chuck, why are you taking your wallet out? Paul literally opened up the magazine to that point and showed it to me, and he was like, "Get you some." <laughs> right. Here, run your run your credit card over here, and we'll we'll figure out what you need. He's a helpful guy, isn't he? My goodness. Uh, <laughs> it should be fun. We're, we're excited because we don't we haven't done much with the Versus owners, so we're excited to see what uh, what they're all about. If they're the KLR crowd or if they're uh, you know the Triumph crowd, it'll be interesting to see number one how many parts we sell, how well it does in the U.S., and just uh, getting to learn some new users out there. So actually, I, I, I'm curious. How, how's the KLR business going? Because we joke about KLR riders don't have any money to spend styrofoam coolers, yada yada yada. But that's not all of them. No, we we have had, and uh, it, it hasn't been a lot, but we've had a few transactions where customer calls and you know orders the pannier system and skid plate and headlight guard, and you know we ring them out, and it's like twenty eight hundred dollar transaction, and. Approximately and the guy on one the other KLR. End of the phone is like, man, I only paid thirty five hundred bucks for the bike. You guys are taking me for twenty eight hundred bucks. This is crazy. That, that's yes, the, that's the exception, but we've had a few transactions like that. But most of the time, they're buying our headlight guard. We've got a really good looking headlight guard, and mm-hmm. apparently, there's not a lot of good solutions in the marketplace. So we've been fortunate to sell that really well. You know, panniers we're selling a few here and there. Skid plate is doing pretty well, and we just came out with a, a little bit more of a product line for that bike. So we've got hand guards and a few other protection items now but it's definitely steady and we have sold some things that i didn't think we would just because of the price point so it's not so much that it's um it's riders are cheap and don't want to spend money that's certainly the case in some of the situations but a lot of us who just got into the sport that's what we can justify we can Mm -hmm. justify spending five thousand bucks and we want to see if we like this before we go out and spend you know thirteen thousand for an f800 or on up from there so one of our our board members bryce stevens who rides a 990 now he he has enough money to buy whatever bike he wants but he started with a klr because it was the prudent thing to do and he he actually had a klr 250 first and he went up to the klr 650 and now 
You know, he's riding a 990 faster than anybody I know and totally hooked. He's a board member. He's one of the main architects of the backcountry discovery routes. But the guy started on a KLR, and it wasn't just because he was cheap or didn't have money. It was because that was the prudent thing to to do to get started. Paul, I've got three words for you. Brushed aluminum milk crates. Yeah. Mm. You sell yeah. a lot. You'll sell yeah. a ton. <laughs> yeah, and we we do have guys that look at, like, you know, we've got a little bracket for holding the oil jug, and they're like, how much is this? Well, it's $31. He's like, oh, I could make that for $7 worth of aluminum and you know, four hours of my time. And get after it, man. That's cool. That's then why are you do. here? <laughs> yeah. I just need some Zega stickers to put on it. <laughs> we have had guys ask us for Tour Tech stickers to put on their ammo cans. <laughs> do you do you sell him some uh, yeah that, I, in fact that guy I think I even had to give him a hat just to get him off the phone because he wanted to tell me the project but, uh, yeah pretty funny please take this hat and stop talking to me yeah and that's not the, you know, the versus thing is not the only exciting thing coming from TourTech now. I was reading the magazine on the pot the other day. <laughs> when yeah. I got back, did I tell you I went to the international? Yeah, we, we got it. Did I? Did thanks, I? Yeah. Thanks, Jim. What, what's the new thing you guys got that you're really proud of? We are really excited about launching TourTech suspension. This is the world's first suspension, suspension that's purpose-built for adventure touring motorcycles. It's a category that's been underserved, just has not had solutions that'll go the distance. And so we have the first shock system that's built from the ground up for adventure touring motorcycles. So it has 50% more preload adjustment than any other shock on the market. And basically what that is, is when, you know, we're adventure riders, we have our bike, we load it up with ridiculous amounts of luggage and camping gear so we can ride around the world or just for the weekend. And you go to adjust that preload to bring the bike back up to level, and you run out of preload before you hit level. Yeah, or or, or you go the other way like I did, and you buy the Olin's shock. And when you don't have a pile of crap and your wife and everything you own on the bike, it's like way too hard. Paul, 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 I, I think you just hooked a fish, Paul. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, good. So, I mean, there's the, the additional preload adjustment. That's kind of the big point of differentiation. That's, we have 15 millimeters of adjustment. Huge. Nobody else has more than 10. So that's pretty cool. But everything else about the shock, it's 6082 T6 aluminum. It's the highest grade aluminum you can get. Oversized chromoly piston. It's got uh, the dampening setup for our customers, our bikes, and what we do right out of the box. Every other shock on the market, whether it's OEM or aftermarket, is made for a 170-pound rider with 15 pounds of gear. And we know that most of us, when we put our boots, our helmet, our gear on, and we load up to go out for an adventure ride, we're weighing a lot more than that, 170 plus 15. And so our shocks out of the box are set up for 220 pounds, and then we have the preload adjustment to take it up higher. We also can put different springs on there to handle someone who's heavier or lighter than that. But, I mean, the long and the short of it is, this suspension is made by the best suspension engineers in the world. They're all XWP engineers that were laid off when they focused on the OEM business and moved WP to where KTM makes motorcycles. They've left all the engineers in the streets all over Holland. And so six of the best ones, the guy that started, or the guy that invented the ESA, BMW's electronic mm-hmm. suspension adjustment, and five other guys started this company called Tractive. And those guys have contracted or put together a program with Touratech for us to help them develop suspension for adventure touring motorcycles. And so we've helped R&D it, develop it, and we are now doing the marketing and distribution in 40 countries around the world for this new suspension. 
That's very cool. That is attractive because, yeah, the, Ol- the Olens was, again, the other way. The Olens, as far as I could tell, they were like, we'll put a race shock in a V-Strom. And I'm like, you're retarded. <laughs> <laughs> I had to dial the damping back like two-thirds until my teeth stopped rattling out of my head. Todd, there's, there's a little drool come out. Sorry. <laughs> right. Get excited. <laughs> wow. Yeah, and those guys have done a lot of good things uh, over the years, but the reality is they've been focused more on OEM, and, and the product has gotten uh, cheaper and cheaper and taking shortcuts. And you talk to suspension tuners, and, and they'll tell you there's there's other brands they prefer more, even though that, that one had quite a reputation for many years. And they still have a fairly strong brand, but the it's, infrastructure is not there to support what our customers it's, do with motorcycles. It's a different market. Yeah, it's, it's a different right. market yeah. focus. So make sure you yeah. check out uh, Touratech, as if you haven't already got the... The Bible, catalog in the your Bible. bathroom. Go to your local dealer and bug them about you know getting the BDR Colorado in so that you guys can watch it. You guys offer like a in movie in the box kit for the dealers, right? Yeah, it's a turnkey movie night, so it yeah, includes so. posters, the rights to show the DVD and charge some money at the door if they want. It uh, comes with a sample packing list, so that everybody that's there getting inspired to get out and ride, you can hand them a packing list at the end of the night, and they can see exactly what we use when we pack up, so that we don't forget things. It's really the list that we've developed over the years, and uh, it comes with the photos and the trailer, everything you need, just a turnkey promotion kit to put on a movie premiere night simple as simple get awesome so yeah go bug your dealers get them to you know bring this in and you know take the guys over and have a movie night beats you know watching porn in your basement make sure you get there early so you can steal the seat on the gold wing or the lt (laughs) that is good advice (laughs) all right thanks paul thanks a lot yeah guys all right so chuck's close personal friend my ass (laughs) you know you know why you're his close personal friend I think because he looks at you and you smell like money. Jeeves, is that any way to, to talk to me? Very good, sir. That's all right. I like this. This is good. This is really nice. This this tuxedo is kind of uncomfortable. I'm going to want the silk pajamas for tonight. Very good, sir. I'll set them up. Thank you. Thank you. That, and could you heat them ahead of time? Yes, and the usual bottle of peach hand lotion. That would be fantastic. Excellent. Very good, sir. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's pretty cool. Though. I want to see the new the BDR stuff. Yeah, I didn't realize you, that there was the charity behind it. That makes it even cooler. The not, yeah, that's that takes it from just like a hey, look at us, we're riding bikes to hey, look at us, we're riding bikes, and we actually like kind of care about this shit. We're trying to do something back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they and and my close personal friends Justin and Court from Butler Maps, mm-hmm. they were all very passionate about this. Mm. It was a really it was pretty cool. Way cool. Yeah. Did I mention uh, these guys were my close personal friends? I. I you know, I think it might have come up. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We got some listener mail from my close listener. Nobody likes me. <laughs> Tim writes, I'm a new listener to both of your shows, and I've got motorcycle fever, and I'm a close friend of Todd, and I think he's great. I saw this ad on my local Craigslist, and this is an ad for uh, an old F650 Funduro. Both of your shows. He's also writing to The Pace. What? I thought you said he was a close personal friend, Todd. Son of a bitch. <laughs> I thought I'd get your opinion on this bike. Some background. I have no street experience, and I haven't ridden a dirt bike in over 20 years. I'll be taking the MSF course next spring. Is this a decent bike for a beginner? I plan to commute a lot with my bike once I get licensed and have a 60-mile round-trip daily commute, and I'd like to do some back-road light dirt riding on the weekends. My mechanical aptitude is low, so I'm also not sure if the carbureted bike is the best option. If it matters, I'm 6'2 and 200 pounds. I'd appreciate any buying advice you might have on this bike or on single 650s in general as starter bikes. I will say that I do like the looks of that new Zook 250, but I hesitate to buy a brand new bike. 
thanks guys and keep the shows coming. You've got great content for noobs like me. So this is an old uh, BMW F650 Funduro, yeah. uh, which is lower than the F650 GS. Okay. The downside is it is an F650. If you're not particularly wrenchy, uh, you're going to be taking this to the dealer a lot. These things are ridiculous to work on. The price is good. Mm-hmm. My big worry is, you know, since it's going to be your first bike, mm-hmm. you're going to drop this thing in a silly situation. And there's a fair amount of plastic there. Yeah. It's going to be expensive. Mm-hmm. It's going to get expensive fast. Well, or you just bedliner it, but I guess you don't bedliner BMWs. Yeah. I mean, I guess you could. The other thing I'm thinking is I feel a little a little close on a BMW 650 already. Yeah, I, I'm kind of hesitant to, to any 650, except for maybe a Kellar. <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was thinking. If he's thinking, you know, single-cylinder 650s, uh, the BMW is not a bad bet. It's certainly cool. It's going to be more comfortable on a long highway run than the KLR. But the other thing is the KLR is, you know, totally indestructible. Especially if he wants to do back road light dirt mm-hmm. riding. Yeah. So This guy's got basic kind of light dually tires. Yeah. So it would be good for road roads. If he tries to get more adventurous with it, it's going to go a little weird. Bike is lowered and original height kit is included. So, you know, that could help. It's nice. It's got the Corbin and the Givy. Mm-hmm. So I, I, this is really kind of gray area for me. Mm-hmm. I'd I, say so. I would really encourage him to look more at a KLR. Mm-hmm. Something kind of disposable, frankly. That, yeah, because, you know... I, my first drop was my first week in a parking lot. Hmm. Doing that to this bike, I could, that's just going to be a little be, sad. Yeah, heartbreaking. It make you sad because it looks pretty. I mean, mm-hmm. the bike's in great shape. Very much so. I would hate to drop that thing. Mm-hmm. And the red seat, no. The red seat's kind of cool. <laughs> I like the red seat. I I think the best thing to do would be to go sit on the thing. Yeah, and also sit on like a KLR. Um, and I'm trying to think of like other 650 singles that are big guy friendly and this kind of them. Yeah. 6.2, a KLR is. That's kind of the KLR is the de facto bike people are going to recommend for you yeah. because it's really going to work great. Yeah. Every wicked tall guy I know who's had a KLR said, oh, it's great. So. And it's going to go everywhere you want to go with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cheaply. Yeah. And, you know, milk crates. Milk crates. Milk crates. Brushed aluminum optional. That's the wheel nerd's opinion. Mm-hmm. Take that, the pace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, let's see. Jesse writes, Hi, guys. Some friends and I have started a motorcycle club up here along the Lake Superior coastline in northern Minnesota. We are keen to do volunteer work in our community on behalf of the club. And one idea I had was to take veterans from our local vets home for rides in a sidecar rig. We have really beautiful scenery and the managers the vet's home thought it would be a great idea to get the older folks some fresh air and wind in their face. To the question, how cool is Chuck? That's not the question well, at Jesse, all. Well, Jesse, Chuck is pretty cool. That's not the question. I mean, I'll be up front. He's, I'm going to hurt you. He's very much. <laughs> <laughs> Todd, with your Ural experience, how easily is it for an old timer to get in and out of the sidecar? <sighs> um... Not as easy as I would like. It depends, it depends frankly, on the old timer. Because the, the thing is, you sit low in the sidecar. Mm. So it's going to be the getting up and down. It's the tricky bit. Think of uh, aluminum chairs with the really short legs that you've got to really kind of 
climb out of. Yeah, it's about like that. that yeah, that's what it's kind of like. So if a person's comfortable with help getting in out of that, mm-hmm. they're going to handle the Ural. Yeah, and the upshot of it is it's not hard to give someone help getting in out of the Ural because it's not like you have to be sitting on the bike holding it steady. You just turn the engine off and go help them. Mm-hmm. That'd be cool. You'll probably want to make sure they've got a windshield and, you know, some spare helmets. You, you know, the drill. Be safe. Yep. I keep a couple helmets, a small and a medium helmet around specifically so that I can plop them on my nephews and nieces and ride them around. Are there some sidecars that would be better suited than a Ural? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, some of the fancier sidecars like the Hannigans, where they have the clamshell opening. Mm-hmm. The Hannigan, pretty much, you open the clamshell and you sit down and you close the clamshell. Oh, okay. It's it's pretty fancy. A lot of them are going to have the same problem, though, where the seat is really close to the ground. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, if they're the kind of folks who have trouble getting out of a low seat, I can't really think of any sidecars. Not gonna be, I mean, an Enduro sidecar they could get into real easy. Okay, yeah, yeah. Because that's nice and high, and you just pretty much walk in right. to an enduro sidecar. Right. Pretty much any of the comfier sidecars and could see a little problem getting up and down. That said, you know, like I said, if they can get up and down, like, off of a low seat by themselves, they'll have a ball. Or even with assistance, I mean. Yeah, that's really the thing is you, you can give them all kinds of assistance. Right. There's a big metal grab bar. Don't let them grab the windshield grab bar. That doesn't do a thing. <laughs> grab the big metal grab bar or help them out from the other side. Yeah. You can probably shovel them in. Yeah, and, you know, it's fun to ride in. My new boss's boss at work, actually, is in a wheelchair. So I was joking with him. I'm like, we got to we gotta go for a ride sometime. He's like, you want me to you want me to ride behind you on the bike? What are you going to do, tie me on? I'm like, <laughs> and everybody around him starts laughing. He's like, what? And we're like, oh, Todd has a sidecar. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, oh, well. <laughs> he goes, uh, next thing I know, he's asking me about sidecars, the sidecars that you can drive from the rig. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, so that was cool. And if you got a sidecar, you've got tilted kilt girls mm-hmm. coming, yep. getting in and out of them. Totally. What have you learned this week, Chuck? I've learned that I like to have my bed sheets toasted to about 101 degrees before mm-hmm. I get into them. And uh, I want to be sung to sleep. Very good, sir. I've learned that girls are chick magnets. <laughs> <laughs> and that's all we got time for this week and this year, too. Yeah, we're going to take a couple weeks off, celebrate the holidays. Have a baby. He's going to have a baby. (laughs) Chuck's not having a baby. I'm going to make the baby. (laughs) Oi. But we'll be back in 2013 with more chicanery. Unless the world ends. Yes, in which case, not so much. Remember, everyone, I'm your favorite wheel nerd and industry insider and uh, close personal. Hi. Until next time, I'm Todd. (laughs) I'm Chuck. Ride safe, everyone. We'll see you next year. If you like this podcast, you can find more like it at wheelnerds.com. This has been a Wheel Nerds production, all rights reserved. Readings from other sources are the property of their respective owners and are used with satirical intent.